at nine, or Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I never understood how they spelled this word. It's Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy. Spell it backwards. I want to... Uh, teach and try my best to identify uh, there are some things that God allows to be stated in his word that is their types or an example Um, and he allows them to be mentioned in scripture so that you and I can pull that type so that we can get a greater understanding. And I want to talk about some of that today. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 1. Uh, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. And when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you, and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them, make no treaties with them, and show them no mercy. Uh, If you do a word study on all of these ites here, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, they mean something, um, and I believe that the meaning of that word can bring out uh, some types, if you will, some significance uh, that you and I can even apply, but the the readers of Deuteronomy understood that these peoples, these nations, were not just um, just people. They stood for something that was against what God wanted, and so God wanted them to be destroyed. And so I believe that some of the types, each one of these nations represented a certain spirit that God wanted to have destroyed and removed from the earth. And uh, because they go against what the Lord teaches and what the Lord promotes and what the Lord is for. And so I want to deal today with the evil spirit of the Girgashite. The Girgashite. I know that is, I don't understand all the names that they came up with, but that's what it is. And uh, you can learn a lot by just focusing in on terminology, if you will, terminology of what the word means, what the background. We are not as symbolic a people today, especially as they were in biblical days. Um, If you read scripture, when, when a mother would have a child, they would come up with the name for the child based off of a situation that they were in right right now okay and so it meant something you know they didn't have you know the the book of 5,000 baby names to come up with back then and uh, what sounded good and and you know I needed to have when we named Owen Owen Timothy I had to have something roll off my tongue when I was disciplining him I couldn't you know I couldn't have that thing that just didn't flow I had to have and so we found Owen you know and uh, because my wife wouldn't let him be a junior, otherwise he would have been Timothy Allen Jr., but <clears throat> that wouldn't have gone over well with my wife, no. And, and so, but, but we just come up with names. Uh, sometimes they mean something. Sometimes they are just a family name. 
for instance, uh, Declan, his uh, middle name James, is based off of a couple of different uncles. Uh, my uh, wife's brother's name is James. His first name, Declan, is spelled different. It's not the Irish D-E-C-L-A-N because we attach part of my dad's name. His name was Franklin, spelled with L-Y-N-N at the end of his name, and so that's how Declan's name is spelled, D-E-C-L-Y-N-N. So we take, and we it means something to us, but it's not that God has given us something at this point. But in the biblical days, they named even Jesus. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people, your, the people from their sins. The word Jesus means Messiah to become a, a Messiah or a salvation has come to us. So it had a meaning to it. And so when you take these Old Testamentites, the Girgashites, Hittites, Hivites, all of them, there is a meaning behind that. And so I want to just pull out one today, uh, and eventually down the road, maybe I'll bring the others to light as well. But I want to talk about the Girgashite. The Girgashite, the, the word Girgashite simply means a clay dweller or a dwelling on earthliness. And to me, it is a, there is a spirit of earthliness or the spirit of a clay dweller. This type of spirit promotes a focus on the earthly, the temporal, the things that are just short term the earthy things uh, of, and there are some Gergeshites in the world today where the creation has become greater than the creator. The things that God created is more important to serve that than it is to serve the creator himself. So the spirit of the Gergeshite is still alive and well among us and, and we can point that out very boldly and see that, but the spirit of the Gergeshite also seeps into the church and it's the reason why God said don't make any treaties with it but destroy them utterly and that is because when the type this type of spirit gets settled into some of our thinking and our mindsets uh, it almost produces a disdain for that which is spiritual that which is uh, eternal Uh, and yet in 2 Corinthians 5 1 Paul said we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved or if our bodies died, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Which one are we looking at? Are we looking at this or are we looking at that? And, uh, and when you look at the eternal things, the things that you can't see, that is operating in opposition to a Gergeshite spirit. It recognizes the temporal nature of our earthly existence and sets its sights on the things that are eternal, the things that will last forever. Uh, there's, a, there's actually, we forget, sometimes, sometimes some of us don't even know, but there, when the New Testament was written and the Old Testament as well, they were not written in chapters and verses. It was just one long letter, okay? And so, Chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians is connected to verse 18 of the previous chapter because there was no distinction when Paul wrote it. And the scripture right before that says, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, I don't know why the 
person that did the division of the, the chapter divided it there and went from chapter 4 to chapter 5 because it flows right into if you're not seeing the things that are eternal, that's why we know that our earthly bodies are going to go away someday. So Gergeshites, that's what I'm going to call them today, Gergeshites, these are people that are infected with this type of spirit. Gergeshites tend to focus on things that are visible. The Greek word translated as seen in the passage that we just talked about, it's, it means this, to discern mentally, to understand, to set the mind's thoughts on a thing or to consider. So Gergeshites are very analytical people. They, uh, but they base their life's decisions on the pros and cons that their minds are able to perceive uh, on an earthly basis. And so, for example, when they have to decide between two job opportunities, they consider factors such as salary, distance from home, opportunities for promotion, uh, benefits, dental insurance, health insurance, whatever it may be, uh, vacation time, etc., etc., and rarely considers what God is trying to do. They're so, you know, they'll sit down and they'll, this is the pros of the job and here's the cons of the job and if the pros outweigh the cons, then it's a smart decision for you to take that job or to step into that avenue and uh, without ever considering what God might have to do with. See, when a believer allows the Gergeshite spirit to take root in his or her heart, they rarely consider what God wants him or her to do. God may want you to take a job with a lower salary, less benefits, um, and, and whatever else, because that's what will bring him glory. That's what he'll, he'll use you as an instrument and as a tool. So if all you're doing is listing the pros and cons that your mind can comprehend and you remove the, the, the aspect of God from the equation, you're really manifesting the Gergeshite spirit that is an earthly. Is it bad? I didn't say it was bad. It's just that it's not God. Thus, it becomes bad. But how many have ever looked at a job and said, well, man, if I could get this pay and I could have this and I could have this, that makes sense. I got to jump and do it. We've all done that. But that's the spirit of the Gergesite, a horizontal view instead of a vertical view of what's happening in your life. He might want to make you take a less appealing job because he knows who's working in that office and he can reach that person if you're there. Things that are eternal instead of things that are temporal. There is a Gergeshite spirit that's in the world even today. Uh, there, God, God sees down the road. He sees the big picture. And while your pros and cons for this job may be important right now, he sees six, eight, nine, ten months down the road and what you'll have to face if you take that job. And he may say, no, it's probably not the right. All the pros line up, but it's not the right time for this job. But the Gergeshite spirit will be pulled by this understanding of this is what is better, this is what is not as good. Now, non-Gergeshite believers, notice I say that. There are Gergeshite believers and there's non-Gergeshite believers. The, the, the Gergeshite believers, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, I pray every day, I read, I sing, I worship, I feel the goosebumps, but when it comes to making a decision in my life, I've got to see 
with my own eyes what's happening. Another word for that would be a Thomas believer. Thomas was a disciple, but he had to see before he would jump. Okay, so there's Gergeshite believers and then there's non-Gergeshite believers. Non-Gergeshite believers are not easily distracted by what their eyes can see, but they focus on what God wants for their lives. And so when going back to this job uh, opportunity, uh, when they're choosing between this job, the non-Gergeshite believer goes to God in prayer and asks him, Lord, which job do you want me to take? Which one's in your will? And God may respond to the believer to take the lower salary job, the higher salary job, or neither one of them. And non-Gergeshite believers are focused on the things that can't be seen or the things that can't be discerned with the natural thinking and what may not make sense. And it's nonsensical even to fellow family members and friends and other believers who uh, can't see above this great opportunity, okay? Because they're looking at life on this level in a Gergeshite type setting. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, Yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I want to break that down just a little bit here because this passage shows that a non-Gergeshite believer relies not on human wisdom, but on the voice of the Spirit. And we'd all like to say that we follow the Spirit, but oftentimes our natural man wins out. (laughs) The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they sound foolish to him. And I, I, I want to say that again. They can't receive it because it sounds foolish. There's some things that sound foolish to people, and you and I don't look at it as foolish because for that particular thing, we've connected with God. Okay? It to, to an unbeliever, speaking in tongues appears to be foolish because they, are not, they have not been able to think on a vertical level and understand that the speaking in tongues is simply a relational language between God and man. And when we speak in tongues, we are, we are expressing that relationship, or rather he is re- expressing that relationship through us by the manifestation of his spirit in us. It's foolishness to those that are, are dwelling on this level because it doesn't make sense because it goes beyond the bounds of human understanding. Does, do you understand what I'm saying? And so... So a non-Gergeshite believer relies on the spirit. The natural man can't understand those things and that's eventually why God sometimes stops talking to Gergeshite believers because every time he does, they simply brush off his words as nonsense and proceed to do their own will anyhow. Okay, I've known people that are like this. 
I will sit with them in counseling sessions and, and, and I will ask them, well, what do you feel the Lord is saying? Well, this is what he said, but it doesn't make sense. I said, well, that's probably because it's not going to make sense because it's above your thinking. And yet they'll walk away from the meeting and not hear anything, go out and do what they want to do anyhow, and then come back to me complaining that they messed up. Be doing. I was like, well, if you would have listened to God in the first place. Not me, listen to God in the first place. And uh, so if you prefer to rely on the voice of the Spirit instead of relying on your natural mind, you're going to begin to act according to the mind of Christ, is what that, picture, that, that passage is trying to tell us. The more you lean on listening for him, the more you begin to act like him. Let me give you a human example of that. The older I get, the more Frank comes out. Because I listened to my father growing up all the time. I may not have responded appropriately back then, but it was getting ingrained in me as I knew the voice of my dad. And now what I'm finding out is I will say something or I will do something and I will turn around looking for him. The more you spend time thinking on the things of, uh, of heaven and not on the things of earth, the more you will begin to act like Christ because Christ operates in the things of heaven and it is expressed in the things in earth. The foundation for, for, for a non-Gurgashite believer is that which is in faith and that which is in heaven and it's expressed in the natural. The Gurgashite believer or him that is a clay dweller uh, his foundation is in this level and then it's expressed in that level. It's the reason why they won't step out and do something different for God because it does, their foundation is on a horizontal level and it doesn't make sense. Well, why do you, why do you raise your hands in the presence of God? That doesn't make sense. What does that do? Well, that's somebody that's looking at this level and not understanding that this is a sign of surrendering in that level being expressed in this level. Okay? And, and so what ends up happening is a non-Gurgashite believer tries to their best to operate on the heavenly level and express themselves in the natural realm instead of the opposite direction. A Gurgashite will operate in the foundation of the natural realm and then it is expressed in the, the supernatural realm, in other words. And that's why they don't get to the heavenly stuff very often because it does not make sense to them. And so the expression of the natural is expressed by a lack of faith in that which is spiritual. But it's very easy for somebody that is operating in the spiritual to release faith in the natural because you're not operating on the natural, you're operating on the spiritual. Have I totally lost you? You following? And so we have to get to the place, God is wanting to get us to the place where we're not dwelling in our foundation of a man-made, man-earthly thought process but that we start thinking the way Christ thinks. Philippians 2.5 says this, let the mind, this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Listen, the way Christ thought does not make sense to you and me. Because the way Christ thought was he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Everything about the mind of Christ was what can I do for my neighbor? 
at the expense of myself. That's not human thinking at all. Humans think totally the opposite. What can I get to benefit me or my family? It's, it's upside down thinking when you're talking about the things of God. And uh, now, I've talked a little bit now here about how Girgashites live relying mostly on the perception of their natural mind versus a spiritual, and they undermine the voice of God. But God gives us some scripture that allows us to understand and ensure that we're hearing from God. So James chapter 3, verse number 13 Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or behavior, that word behavior, conversation is behavior, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. And so I want to uh, talk about, for a few minutes, uh, some of these guidelines to know that you're thinking in the heavenlies and not thinking on the earth. The first one is this, meekness in wisdom. A meek person is a person who is easily led by another. The same way that a meek horse is easily led by anybody that rides it. And so my question today is, is your soul meek towards God? Do you have a predisposition in your spirit to be led by his spirit to whatever he asks you to do without regard to personal sacrifice or suffering? Because he, let me put it to you this way. Here's how you know you're following the spirit is 90% of the time, it doesn't make you comfortable. Because he did not create us, save us, keep us to be comfortable. He created us and saved us to be instruments to touch somebody else. Okay? So when God looks down he sees something that Letitia needs that I can offer that may cause suffering and affliction to me, but it will benefit her. And so what ends up happening is God begins to speak to my heart and ask me to sacrifice, ask me to suffer a little bit, not because of any other reason than he's going to take that situation and, and it's going to be able to reach out and to touch Letitia in her need. And in that way, God is getting the glory for meeting the need of another. Now here's what you don't and I don't understand all the time and we don't realize all the time. When God meets a lot of our needs, it's because somebody else has suffered. It's because somebody else has paid the sacrifice. Can I just tell you the house that we're sitting in today, there was sacrifice put into it. And some of you have joined this church since the building was up and you don't know what the sacrifice was for those that were before. And I don't know all the sacrifice of those that paid the price for me to get where I am today. I know some of it. 
I, I, know, I know some of what God did with some people. I've shared with you the story of Dave and Nancy Norris. They're my mentors. He's, uh, he is probably, in my opinion, the greatest theologian uh, in shoe leather. And, 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 uh, the, but the price and the sacrifice they paid to be able to pour into me and me be able to see him being excommunicated from his family, having a child that was, uh, I don't even know what the disease was, but he, he never was able to feed himself. He was never able to take care of himself. Live for, and they loved that boy, and that boy loved them, and the church loved that boy. And, and, but every time you could see Dave and Nancy begin to minister, you knew the sacrifice that they had made. And I'm thankful that they were the type of people that understood the spirit of the Girgashite that says, I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm going to walk through it because God's going to use me in some way, shape, or form. So meek in wisdom. Are you willing to obey the voice of God above the voice of man, even at the risk of being left alone? If you are, you are a meek person and you'll be acting in the wisdom of God. The second thing in this passage in verse 15, not focusing on what can be seen with the natural mind. Are you earthly? Are you Gergeshite centered? Are you focused on what you can perceive and analyze with your mind? If you are, you're not likely to hear the voice of God. Listen, this has to deal with patience. How many here are patient? How many are lying? <laughs> patience. Here's why this is talking about patience. Is because we see a situation and we want to fix it. We want to jump in and we may even make sense. And we may even be able to dot every I and cross every T and every step may be there and it may be prepared and it may be exactly the thing that might supposedly help. But when you're patient, you'll step back and say, I see all of that, but God's doing something else behind the scenes that if I just give him enough time, it's going to open out without me trying to pry the doors open. And sometimes we get so impatient with God and what that really is, is we're getting impatient because we're not seeing the thing that we can understand. And we lose faith in the thing that we don't understand. Can I just tell you if God promised to be with you, he's with you, whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not. There's something that, uh, an old song that I wrote in my, it's in my, my Bible that I used to teach from in, in college and it's a song that my wife sang years and years ago, but God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Trusting his heart takes patience because his timing is not our timing. And so if you're going to focus on the things with the natural mind, you're going to become impatient with the things of the spiritual mind because the spiritual mind does not operate at the same level of functionality that we do, thankfully. The next one is, we don't fo if you're not focusing on personal agendas or self-aggrandizement, uh, verse 15 calls it devilish. Are you willing to step on anybody in order to get to the top? Are you constantly looking out 
for yourself and your family, whether it means helping somebody else or not? Are your decisions based on the benefits that you can obtain instead of basing on them on what will glorify God? If that's the case, if you're all about you and your family, there's a good chance that you're not likely to hear from God. Not that he's not speaking, but you're not going to hear it because you're too consumed on this level and not in tune with that level. Now, am I saying this happens 24-7? No, all of us have, have seasons where everything is on this level. But what I'm trying to get to your attention today is that is a spirit that the Lord wants to drive out so that we can keep working towards, keep trying to learn how to hear in the things of the spirit. This next one is a big one. A willingness to judge without showing emotional partiality. Well, I'm not going to judge you, but I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm not going to really judge you, but I'm just, I'm just going to avoid you at all costs. In fact, in verse 15, the, there's a word in there that is, is translated as sensual. It, it, it's the Greek word psychikos, and it means soul or a seed of emotion, if you will, is what the soul is. And so therefore the word sensual is really talking about your emotional state. And since the most predominant part of the soul is formed by the emotions, your emotional decisions lend or tend to be greatly influenced by what emotion you're dealing with at that moment. And uh, and some make their decisions based on their emotion. I do this because this seems to be the place where my family is the happiest. But happiness is fleeting. So your decision, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to hear from God, your decision needs, needs to be, God, whether or not this is the right place or not, it's got to be your place. Whether my emotions line up or not. Can I just tell you that there have been times in my life where I haven't liked God very much? I've been aggravated with him. I've been upset with him and I let him know it. I remember back when we were in college, I challenged Trish. I said, just yell at him. She just about fell over. I said, he already knows you're mad. Let him have it. He's a big God. Why? Because in the midst of venting to God, we are releasing the Gergeshite spirit and entering into the, the heavenly nature of things. And it's at those moments when we're openly honest and transparent with God that he can then begin. Now, he's going to set you straight, just forewarning. When I have yelled at him, he has calmly spoken back and set me straight. But had he not done that, I would have continued in my anger. I would have continued in my thinking of this level instead of allowing him to begin to speak from that level. And here's usually what God says. Who do you think you are? When I'm angry and I'm yelling at him, who do you think you are? What right do you have to get onto me? 
Were you there when I created earth? Were you there when I split the Red Sea? Were you there when I chose how many hair to have on your head? Or lack thereof? You see, do you understand what I'm saying? It's the mind of the spirit and not the mind of the earth. It's, not the, it's the non-Gurgishite mindset. Get rid of that earthly, earthy spirit, that earthly mindset, and get to the mind of Christ. And when you're doing that, God will begin to speak to you. When you are open with him and you are, are seeking him and showing no emotion, it's the reason why when you get into a situation, you need to step back from your emotions and say, what does this say? Because your emotions from time to time will say, God doesn't like me right now. He doesn't really care. He's disappeared. But if you step back from what you're feeling and read the scripture, when Jesus says, I am with you even unto the ends of the earth, you say, oh yeah, I guess you are here. I have chosen you. You are a peculiar people. You are a holy nation. I guess, yeah, that, I, I guess what I'm feeling doesn't make sense right now. Okay? Our emotions get us all messed up from time to time. And when our emotions are leading the way, you will not be able to hear God. Because God does not speak through emotions. I, I need to say this because we're an emotional church. I preach emotionally, we sing emotionally, but listen, emotion is not what God speaks through. God speaks and our emotion reacts to what he's doing. It, it, it's, it's flipped the other way. You can get all emotional and God's not dealing with you and you're emotional because your emotion doesn't, it's not telling you what the true nature of this conversation is because your emotions are bouncing here and there. But if you have heard him, you will become emotional because of what God is speaking and doing in your life. And so the emotions that we express around here in worship and preaching is not so that God can speak through our emotion. It is the response of what the spirit is already doing in the house. Okay, that's non-Gurgashite thinking. God said it and that's good enough for me. So I'm going to respond through my emotions. When the Gergeshite gets it flipped all around, our emotions dictate our expression. Does that make sense? And so uh, verse 17 says that he wants us to be without partiality or hypocrisy. Hypocrisy refers to the act that most people perform when they go to the supermarket to buy fresh fruit. They go through and they handle it and they shake it and they listen to it and they thump it and they do all kinds of things. And when I was working in a produce department, I realized that that's all just for show because you ain't gonna be able to tell until you open the fruit up. And, uh, but that's kind of what we do. And then we choose one over the other based on what our mind perceives is the better choice. Okay? I remember this, and, and I know there's all kinds of things out there that choosing produce, and, but I remember I, I, I worked in a produce department for about six years 
from about the age of 15 or 16 until about 20, 21. And I remember them coming in, and I remember ladies grabbing the cantaloupe and putting it right up to their nose and smelling it. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, it's going to tell me whether it's ripe or not. I said, no, it won't. Yes, it will. You young whippersnapper, you don't know anything you're talking about. So I said, okay. So I took the two that she chose, and I walked back, and I cut them open. The one that she chose was absolutely mush. The one that she didn't choose was ready to go. I said, it doesn't matter necessarily what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And you won't really know until you get to the inside of it whether or not it's good or not. I mean, you're not going to want to grab a cantaloupe that's, when you touch it, it's all mush. But you understand what I'm talking about. You can't always tell from the outside before you get to the inside. Hypocrisy is simply this. I judge by the outside instead of the inside. It's a Gergeshite spirit. I judge by what I see, what I perceive on the natural level. Let me bring it into church terms. How can God use that person? I saw what they did last week. How can they use that? How can God use that person? They didn't treat me very well. Listen, it's a statement that I will use until Jesus comes. If God can use a donkey to speak, he can use any of us at any moment of time as long as we are available in that moment. In other words, your being used by God in a moment or somebody being used by God in a moment is not predicated based off of what's on the outside. It's based off of what's on the inside. And if they are available in that moment on the inside and they allow the presence of God to speak and begin to express what God is saying, it's just as much of God no matter if the outside looks terrible. That's, that's what he's saying. Don't become emotionally partial. Well, that person doesn't act this the right way. I mean, I saw them being rude to their spouse and I saw them chastising their children and I saw this and I saw that and then they come in and they're all smiles and giggles. Okay, you don't know what's going on on the inside. You are showing partiality by what you are seeing. It's the Gergeshite spirit. Listen, I know it's prevalent because I've done it myself. We've all done it. There's no way God can use that person. I know what they do all week. Oh, yeah? Look at Scripture and see who God used and see what they did the week that they were used. Don't be, and if you are get to that mindset where I'm not going to base my partiality on what I can naturally see or think, but on what God speaks. Now, the way that you differentiate whether it's of God or if it's a man, does it line up with this? Learning to hear God's voice is a growth process, and it's a growth process that none of us can do for one another. We have to become dependent upon where we're at with God. And so here's, I want to close with this thought, how to know and learn. And it's based off of 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. 
There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which works in all. And so ask yourself three questions. The first question is how? Verse 4 declares that the spirit is in charge of the gifts. The gifts determine the way we will perform God's will. It comes from him. So that's the how. The second one is the what. It says that the Lord is in charge of the administrations or the word ministry or the word operation, if you will. He's the one that's in charge. So the operation of the giftings comes and is determined by what God desires, not by what we desire. And then the third one is when. Since he's in charge of the operation, he's the one who determines when it starts and when it finishes. Acts one seven, he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So when you're trying to do God's will, you must take these three questions into consideration. Sometimes we may want to do the right thing or we have the what, but we're trying to do it the wrong way because we don't have the how. Or sometimes we are trying to do something at the right time because we have the when, but we're trying to do it with the wrong uh, thing because we don't have the what. We've got to answer all three questions before we jump into what God is asking us to do. Because sometimes he's giving us the how, but he hasn't given us the what and the when yet. And sometimes he's preparing us for the what, but he hasn't told us how yet and, or when. And sometimes he's told us when, but he hasn't told us what yet. And we get mixed up because we get, all of a sudden God says, okay, this is what I want you to do. And we're like, okay, let's go do it. Like a bull in a china shop. But he hasn't released the how you're going to do it yet, and he hasn't released the when. He's just given you the what. And he's given you the what so that you can study, that you can prepare, that you can be ready when the how comes through and when the when comes through. And if you're listening for those three things and you're gathering those three things, when you begin to do for God, then God is already ready for you to step into that thing and he has prepared the, the, the how, the what, and the when. And when those three are operating together, you cannot help but to be successful. It's the difference between being a Gergeshite believer and a non-Gergeshite believer of living on the earthly level or reaching through the heavenly level. What are you doing, God, in me? I invite you to stand. I challenge you this week to approach God. Ask him, God, have I been operating on a Gergeshite level or a non-Gergeshite level? Speak to me, God, and help me to understand how to elevate my thought processes, my perceptions, my thinking and my understanding from an earthy level to a heavenly level so that when I'm working and living in the earth, I'm expressing what's happening in the spiritual. And when that begins to take place, we will be manifesting Jesus Christ because his whole life and ministry on this earth was the manifestation or the expression of that which was above. And you saw miracles and you saw signs 
and you saw the flocks of people being drawn to the power of God and you saw the glory of God being manifested over and over and over again. Why? Because Jesus was living by the spiritual and not by the natural. Jesus, I love you and I praise you. I thank you for this day. Help us, Lord, to not be Girgashites. Help us, Lord, to elevate our thinking, our mindset, our prayers, our eyes to that which is heavenly and let you deal with the earthly. Help everything that we do on the earth be an expression of what you have already spoken into our spirits. Help us to hear your voice with clarity. Help us, Lord, to be willing to find the how, the what, and the when and begin to move at the voice of your spirit. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Shake hands with one another. We'll start our worship in just a few minutes.